Oh, it's good to see you all. I like how you do church. I especially like people who are Monday church people. You already have my heart because you're here on a Monday. That's how bad you want it. Is that right? I mean, you have to want it to come on a Monday. I love you already. I feel like we have a thing. This is so exciting. Good. Well, thank you for having me, and I'm very excited to be here. And uh, great news. I've really prayed about this, and I feel like God showed me something just for us and just for this time. So uh, that's, that's a really cool place to be. So let's, uh, we're going to dive into the text in just a minute. Uh, but first of all, I want to ask you to imagine with me for a moment. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that we're not meeting in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Instead, let's imagine that we're meeting in sunny California. I know, it sounds really good, doesn't it? Until I tell you that we're meeting in Porterville. Now, maybe you know Porterville. Maybe you've heard it in the news. Maybe you know nothing about Porterville. I've been reading about Porterville this week. And I got to tell you, it's tough times in Porterville, California. So I want you for a moment to imagine that, that this is where we are and that you woke up in Porterville. You see, in Porterville, it's the fourth year of a drought, for real. And Porterville is a rural area. And in this particular rural area, most of the people, they don't have uh, county water. They live off private wells. And so it's a very dry time. And in the fourth year of a drought, some people in Porterville have been without running water for 18 months. Seriously, 5,433 people don't have running water. And that means that those people woke up today and they couldn't do things like brush their teeth with running water from the sink or make an easy meal or even flush a toilet. Seriously, it's hard times in Porterville. And they have to do things like they have to take these showers that are bucket showers. Has anyone ever had a bucket shower? Have you ever been like out in the wilderness for a while or maybe on a mission trip you might have done a bucket shower? All right, I have a picture. This is a kid getting a bucket shower. Look how happy he looks to have that water poured over him. I think it's probably not that great of an experience. I imagine it's not hot water at least. So not my kind of shower. And then there's a, another picture of a guy and this guy is uh, donating his time to fill buckets for neighbors, and he fills for four hours a day because he has water. Four hours a day. He just volunteers, and he gives water. Another story talked about a mom who was without water, and she was uh, telling the story of running her well running dry and a neighbor supplying water for her for a whole year for her and her whole family. And then the neighbor knocked at her door, and he said, I'm so sorry, I can't give you my water anymore. My well is running dry. So it's, it's hard times right now in Porterville. Now you may think, why on earth are you starting with this depressing story? This is not what we want to think about. I want to add one more layer. Let's say that we're in Porterville and you're living in this drought and you don't have running water and suddenly a stranger comes to your home and he knocks. Let's go one further. Let's say it's not just a stranger. Let's say it's a refugee. And he knocks and he says, may I please have a cup of water? And he asks you for a cup of water. 
Now, maybe you're like me and you've got kids and you're looking at your kids and you're looking at your spouse and you're looking at a couple of containers of water that have been donated and that's all you got. And you're thinking, well, if I give this guy some water, I don't have enough for my own. And you're thinking, man, you are painting such a hard picture. Well, guess what? This is exactly what our story is like today. We're going to be in 1 Kings. So come with me if you brought your scripture to uh, 1 Kings, and we're going to be in chapter 17. I know what some of you are thinking, like the Old Testament, really? I got to tell you, this is such a good story, and there is a major challenge in it for us tonight, and it's all about first. It's all about first. So let's go to 1 Kings 17. But before we read, I'm going to just give you a bit of context because you may not have been doing your devotions in 1 Kings recently. So I'm just going to give you some context in case this has been a while since you've been in 1 Kings. So this is um, a book that tells the story uh, largely uh, about a prophet named Elijah. And Elijah is an awesome truth teller and he worships the one true God. And Israel, where he's living, has decided to start worshiping Baal. And so they're they're making a poor choice. Most of the people in Israel are worshiping Baal. And Baal is not the one true God. He's a false God. And um, Baal is thought to be the God of fertility and the God of the sky. And the people have decided that when the sky rumbles, Baal is about to bless them with rain. It's true. And so... Uh, Elijah is called sort of out of obscurity by God and said, go and tell them, hey, you are making a poor choice in worshiping Baal because I'm the one true God. And so Elijah follows that command and he goes, and we actually see this in the beginning of 1 Kings 17, Elijah goes to the king, Ahab. And he says to the king, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, uh uh-oh, it's going down. There will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. What did we just say Baal does when he wants to bless the people? He makes the skies rumble and he makes the rain come down. So the one true God says there will be no more rain through Elijah. And guess what? There is no more rain. So God comes to Elijah and immediately he says to him, go to this brook. And while you're at this brook, I'm going to miraculously provide for you through ravens, and they're going to bring you food. And so this is a really interesting thing. The ravens come, and they feed Elijah, and he drinks from the brook. And every day he has exactly what he needs to keep going, except that it's not raining. Because Israel is largely still worshiping Baal. And they're experiencing a period of no rain. And so guess what happens? The brook dries up. The brook dries up. And God says to Elijah that he wants him to go to another place. And that is where we're picking up the story. So read with me if you will. Now, I'm going to read a few verses and then we're going to unpack it a bit. Then we'll read a few more and then we'll unpack it a bit. So that's, that's my style. So uh, don't worry if it feels like I'm stopping a lot. I mean to. It's okay. First Kings 17. So we're going to pick up at verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and said, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? 
And as she was going to get it, he called and please bring me a piece of bread. All right, time out and let's find out what just happened. Because I got to tell you, this is a, kind of a crazy start to the story. First of all, God tells Elijah to go to Zarephath. Well, Zarephath is considerably far north from the brook. I actually brought a map. I'm not like a big map person, but I just feel like you need to see this to really understand. Wow, it's so small. Okay, so the brook is about halfway up the map, and Zarephath is, well, it's the second very blurry word down from the very top. So can you see the distance we're talking about? I mean, it is like a huge distance. In fact, uh, I read some commentaries that said it's 80 to 100 miles. 80 to 100 miles. So God comes to Elijah and says, okay, the brook has dried up, but go to Zarephath and a widow there will feed you. So the first obstacle is, well, that's a considerable walk for a guy who's wanted, right? So Elijah heads up to Zarephath. We don't get that part of the story, but the second thing that's really interesting is that he's called to go to a widow. Now, you may be thinking, why is that interesting? Because widows can be sweet and kind, and maybe she'll supply for him. So I have to explain to you that widows in this day and age of the Bible were extremely marginalized. I'm going to explain why. So in baseball, you know, three strikes, you're out, right? This widow has three strikes. First strike... She's a woman. So in this time, men were at the top of society and women were at the bottom of society. And women weren't able to do so many things that men could do. Women had no power. And so uh, men held all the power. So by being a woman, she's already got a strike. Now, in addition to that, she is a widow. So a widow has lost the man who could have power and provide for her. So again, she's marginalized. She is someone who uh, not only can't provide for herself, but the person who maybe had power and was able to provide for her is gone. So twice marginalized. Third marginalization is, I didn't tell you, Zarephath is actually a city that is not um, a, uh, Israel, an Israelite kind of city. This is a city that's full of outsiders. And so it's a Phoenician city. And so she is an outsider. And because of uh, the way that uh, the times were, being an outsider meant that she's three times marginalized. She's like a foreigner living in the Israelites' territory, if that makes sense. So three times marginalized, a woman, a widow, an outsider, and God sends Elijah to her. This is really important, and we'll understand more why later. So he's been sent 80 miles north or a long way north, and he's been sent to a widow who's marginalized. And now we're going to add one more layer. Elijah is a refugee because he is running in his own place. He is like a wanted man. If you were the person who said, it's not going to rain anymore, and it stopped raining and you caused a drought, do you think people would be loving you? Do you think they'd be wanting to give you water? So this guy, he's got it hard, but he is very obedient, and he's a truth teller, and he does exactly what God tells him to do, and so he goes to Zarephath, and he goes to this widow. Let's pick back up. So we're at verse 12. This is the widow's reply. It is so honest. It's beautiful. 
As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Yeah. So earlier on, when God said to Elijah, I've directed a widow to supply you with food, you have to think Elijah's thinking, did I approach the right widow? Did the widow not get the memo? Like, what happened here? What's the breakdown? What's the disconnect? God told me the widow would supply, and the widow is saying, as surely as your God lives, that implies that Elijah's God is not her God. As surely as your God lives, I don't have anything. I'm all out. I'm going to go home and die. In fact, it's so hard times for me. Wow. This is a, it's getting, it's getting hard, isn't it? Getting about like that drought. This is also a time of famine in this land. So this is a tremendous time for this widow to have to supply even one piece of cake for Elijah. So let's pick back up at verse 13 and finish this story. And then we'll unpack it a bit for the remainder of our time. Starting at verse 13, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up. And the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain onto the land. It's quite a promise. She went away and she did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. This is one of my favorite stories honestly, in scripture. And the more I've meditated on it this week and prepared for our time, the more I'm like, wow, there's so much here. And the reason that I felt led toward this story for our time tonight is because there's this huge first in the story. Did you hear it? But first, Elijah says, but first, first, before you do what you've been planning to do, but first, would you just give me a little bread and a little water? But first, you see, I am absolutely convinced that you and I have these kinds of moments. I don't think this just happened. I don't think it just happened once and it's recorded in scripture. I do believe it happened just the way that it is said. However, I believe it happens. It happens because God is speaking to us through scripture and God is still speaking to us. And so I believe that you and I, that we have these but first moments. These places in our lives where we're moving along as we want to move along, and then we hear, if we are listening, God say, okay, but first, but first, I have something else for you. But first, so what do those look like? I think those are a call back to what's really important in our life. I think that sometimes we get a but first when we've just strayed a little off the path. And we just need to come right back to the most important things. And that can be a but first in our life. 
I also think, but first, this is my personal favorite kind, are an invitation to engage in something. And usually, I'm sorry to say, but I'll just be honest, a hard thing. Usually it's a hard thing. It's something that's beyond us. It's something that feels outside of us. It's something that feels like something that God can only do in us and through us. Something we can't do ourselves. Those are the kinds of things that we often are invited to join in. This sort of kingdom work can be a but first moment for you and for I. So that's another kind of but first I think that they come in a lot of different ways. You may be thinking, well, how do I know if I get a butt first? How do I know what that, what does that look like? What do you mean? What is that? Well, I think when you're praying, sometimes when you're praying, you just feel impressed about something. And that can be a butt first. Sometimes when you read scripture, you know how you read scripture and then something just stands out to you and you feel like, oh, that is it. Wow, that's for me. That can be a but first moment where you are called to something, some sort of an action, some sort of a realignment. And if you are obedient, that's a but first moment that you're stepping into and it comes through scripture. Sometimes it comes through conversations. Sometimes a great sermon can cause you to have a but first moment where God speaks to you in the midst of something that's being shared. Sometimes maybe it's a book. It's a book that you're reading and you just feel like, wow, this, this book is for me for now. And I feel like God's speaking to me even as I'm reading this. Did you know God uses everything to speak to us? So I have a story to tell you about a butt first, and this will help uh, illustrate this a bit. <sighs> a big butt first for me was when I felt called towards seminary. However, but first can be hard, and we're going to talk about that next, okay? I'm just going to tell you right now, but first can be hard. So I got this but first. Okay, Christy, you're, you're, you're doing this stuff in business. This is great. You're doing this stuff. It's great. But first, before you keep going down this path, seminary, I want you to get trained. I started to feel those nudges. I really argued, argued hard with God about that. That was just not feeling right for me. Because I had a baby at the time, and I was just thinking, like, this doesn't make a bit of sense. Okay, God, like, our expenses are growing as a family, as my third child. And I'm thinking, no, we just had a child. Why would you call me in this time, when it's very busy in my home, and I have very small children, and I'm needed, to go to seminary, where I stop earning and start spending to go to school, right? I mean, logically, does that make sense? Lo I'm just saying, logically. I can still say that. I'm allowed to say that, right? Logically, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And I was arguing with God about that. And this, this verse kept coming round. It was so annoying, okay? I'm just going to say it like it is. And the verse is one of those ones that you all, I bet you all know it. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Okay. I know it. So I was reading a devotional. There it was. Like, okay, God. All right. Close the devotional. Move on. A few days later, I'm doing something else. There it is. Okay, third time it came around, I thought maybe I need to take a step back and consider this verse. So I went ahead and journaled on it. You know, if you want to really just nail something down with God, just journal on it, right? Small detail, I inadvertently skipped a phrase. Would you like to guess which phrase I skipped? Lean not on your own understanding. I actually forgot that that was part of the verse. I just did it from memory. So I did trust in the Lord with all your heart. Talk to him about that. 
And then I went right on to, in all your ways, acknowledge him. <laughs> He'll direct your path. And I journaled and journaled. And then I said, but what you don't understand, God, is, and I just laid it all out for him. Again, right there in print. Because, you know, I wanted to argue. Fast forward a little while further, and I decided, I just this nudge, this nudge, this nudge. So I thought, I'll just get online and I'll see how much seminary is. And then we'll really be able to nail it down, right? I mean, this will be, it's a done deal. I'm not going to be able to afford it. So I got online. You know, <laughs> the first site I went to, which was not the place I ended up going, but I was just Googling, like, how much is seminary? That's how clueless I was. And I went to this site, and at the very top of the site, in bright red, bold letters, would you like to guess what verse was there? I'm not even kidding you. And I'm just sitting, I'm just like, and it was in desktop. I mean, it was like the oldest, and I still remember where I was sitting. And I'm staring at it like this cannot be happening. And then I started to feel like um, uneasy, you know, like just like uneasy. So I thought, I'm just going to step away from this. I will never forget this. I went into the kitchen. And young kids were about to wake up from naps. And so I thought, well, I will get dinner started. I will be productive. This will be good. So I went into the kitchen. And I thought, well, while I'm doing that, I'll listen to a podcast. That'll be good. Get my mind off this whole trust in the Lord thing. So I decided that Andy Stanley was like a really good bet. Because, you know, he's always inspiring, leadership, you know. So I queued it up, hit play, and I remember I'm chopping. It might have been an onion. I don't remember what I was chopping, but I'm chopping. And Andy starts by saying, hey, my regular listeners, I just want to let you know that today we're going to do something different. You guys know I'm always topical, and I really enjoy a topical sermon. But today I just really felt led toward one verse. <laughs> and so we're going to take it line by line. And I'm just, I, I stopped chopping. I'm like, oh, Lord. And I, seriously, I, I, had to just, I had to just go and pray because the verse was Proverbs 3. Five and six. And Andy broke it down, and then I just felt, wow, this is so clear. So my husband came in from work, and I said, you know how we've talked a couple times about how maybe I'd like to go to seminary, but I don't really know how. He's like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going. I'm going in the fall. <laughs> He's like, huh? I'm like, it's a serious, serious. I am starting in the fall. I'm like, I don't know how we're going to do it, but let me just tell you what's been going on. And after I laid it out for him, he was like, oh, yeah, you're starting in the fall. Yeah, you are. You are. That's a but first. And so I just want you to know that God can speak through computer screens and podcasts and all kinds of ways. And if he has a but first for you, in his grace, he often keeps bringing it around until we get it. And I wanted to share that story with you. In addition to that, these but firsts are spoken to all of us. Now listen, I know we know this, but I'm just reminding us because my heart was reminded this week as I spent time in this text that but firsts are not just for the people who are uh, very um, successful, resourced people who just have platforms and um, all the right tools to make it happen. Because it's really tempting to think, well, if God wants to do something in the world, there are a lot of people he could ask who really have a lot of skills, and probably he wants them. So here's the thing about that. Logically, that makes sense. But if we look at this story, this story flies in the face of that idea. Because where did God send Elijah? He sent Elijah to a widow who was about to die. She had no resources. She had no position. She had no power. She had no platform. 
She had nothing. She had enough flour and oil to make one last cake. And yet God sent Elijah there. And so sometimes we are invited with a but first because it creates what I would call an only God moment. Only God could do it. And we're invited into that. How beautiful is that? How beautiful is that? So the but first, they come to us a lot of different ways. But hearing them is hard. But first talk is hard. And I thought maybe we could just talk about why it's hard. A few reasons that it seems to be really hard. One is fear. It's an interesting thing in this story because this is Elijah. Like all through 1 Kings, he's like going places and this is what he basically says. Be very afraid. Be very afraid. It's not going to rain anymore. Be very afraid. You are not doing the right thing. Be very afraid. And then he comes to this widow. He comes to this widow and what does he say to her? Do not fear. Wow. Now, what makes the difference between be very afraid and do not fear? Because if he has kind of a catchphrase, he's basically telling people, you should be worried because you are not living right. The difference is what he's speaking about. So he's talking to the general population and saying, you need to be afraid because they're disobedient. They're not obedient. But then he comes to this widow, and when he talks to her about an opportunity to be obedient, he says, do not be afraid. Do you see that? We have nothing to fear when we're stepping into what God is calling us to. And that's something that we need to remember. We have the opportunity to replace fear with trust. And this widow is able to do this because she has this tremendous ability to trust. And this to, her, this to me makes her a hero, a real hero in the Bible. That in the Old Testament, this is pre-Jesus, she can say to a prophet who's basically a refugee when she has absolutely nothing of her own, okay, I'll make you a cake. I'll make you my last cake. Hero. She's able to do what she's asked to do because she chooses to believe what Elijah has said. She chooses to believe that her flour will not run out and her oil will not run dry. She replaces fear with trust. One way that we replace fear with trust is, uh, is talked about in the book of Romans. It says, do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen, if we want to replace fear with trust, you and I, we have to realign our minds, okay? And that is the kind of work that happens as we spend time in scripture and as we spend time with God. We have to soak up the promises in order to be able to live out of a place of trust. That's absolutely vital if we want to live into the but firsts that are spoken to us. So the first thing is we have to overcome fear. The second thing is we have to not live with a scarcity mindset. This is hard because the world around us truly, truly has a scarcity mindset, so much so that you may have missed it the first time we read the story. So I want to bring back that slide and highlight for you the widow's scarcity mindset. You will really, I think, be interested to see this. Can we have that slide? She says, as surely as the Lord your God lives, the words are bold, <laughs> I don't have any bread 
only a handful, do you hear these words? A flour in the jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. She looks at what she has and she's like, I don't have enough. I don't have enough. And I got to tell you, I'm right there with the widow some days. I look at what I have and I think, really, God, you want me to do that? Because I don't have enough. Like, have you seen my supply? I'm pretty sure I'm running out. I don't think I've got what you need to do that. But here's the thing about this story. The opposite of scarcity in this story is not abundance. It's not. It took me a while to see this. The opposite of scarcity in this story is enough. It's enough. The widow does not feed Elijah and then come back to find that she has now got barrels of oil and sacks of flour that she cannot move. And she will eat like a king for the rest of her life. That's not what the story says. But do you know what happens? That little bit that she has, it never runs out. And she has exactly enough every day to eat, for her son to eat, and to keep on feeding Elijah. So the opposite of scarcity isn't abundance in this story. The opposite of scarcity is enough. It's enough. And do you know that we have enough in Christ? We have enough to do the things that we're called to do, to take the first step in the places that we're called. She also wasn't asked, Elijah didn't roll up in there and say, hey, widow gathering sticks, would you please uh, make me a feast and would you continue to do so for the next several years? Now, I don't think she would have been able to say yes to that. I think she would have thought he was straight out nuts. But she did have what was needed to take that first step. And you and I also often have what is needed to take that first step. So we have to overcome that scarcity mindset and understand that in Christ, there is enough. There is enough. One more thing, maybe the hardest thing, in order to give up first, we have to be willing to take second. Ooh, that's hard, taking second. It's hard because our bodies and our minds are gung-ho for first. I don't know if you've ever run a race, but I have never had the goal in any sort of competition or race to come in second. Now, I am not a runner, and that is a good thing. If I were a runner, it would be sad because I would lose every time. I'm not fast. But listen, in everything that I compete in, I want to be first because my body and my mind, they want to be first. But our souls, our souls were made for second. They were made for it. They were designed for it. Do you know what second comes from? Latin in second is to follow. Sequi, to follow. I don't know if I said it right, but that's, that's what it is. S-E-Q-U-I, to follow. Our souls were made to follow. We weren't made to lead. We were made to follow. We were designed to be in relationship with Christ and to come under his authority. We were designed to be second not to be first. And when we really get our hearts and our minds around that, it's a lot easier to take those but firsts as they come. So we've talked about what a but first is. We've talked about why they're hard. I want to close with what happens when we take the but first. I want to close with what happens when we respond and we say yes. When we make the cake, so to speak, or the loaf of bread, whatever version you're reading, when we do that, what happens? 
And I want to submit to you that at least two things happen, and they're really big things. The first is that you and I, when we take the but first that's presented to us, join in kingdom work, and as a result, we experience the fullness of the kingdom. And this is the best place to live. There is not a better place to live than in obedience, taking the butt first, doing the risky things that you're called to do, whether that's going across the street and talking to someone that has been on your heart, or that is going and serving in a place that feels way outside of your comfort zone, or that's, you know, like me going to seminary, going back to school, whatever it is that God's speaking to you about, taking that risk is the most rewarding thing because it enables you to step into kingdom work and to step into the fullness of the kingdom. You know, as I prepared for this, my husband said, you're so passionate about these ideas. I said, yes, I am. You know why? I honestly believe that if you and I, if every one of us who call ourselves Christians, if we lived this way, the world would be a different place. I honestly believe that. If we were able to step into these places that were called to obedience, and sometimes that requires quite a lot, but if we all lived in obedience to these things, the world would be impacted in a way that we have never seen the world impacted. It would be tremendous. This is what I believe you and I are invited into. The second thing is I believe it's what we were designed for. I believe it's what our souls were made to do. So I think it takes us to our place of deepest commitment and connection. And it's a rewarding thing to step into the but first that's spoken to us. So Jody is going to make her way back with the musicians, and we're going to just spend a little bit of time processing this, but I don't know what your, what your butt first is. It's just deeply personal. I mean, I shared with you one of mine. Maybe some of you would share with me one of yours. I would love to hear them. But what I do know is in a room this size and in a crowd this size that God is speaking to us, and I know that some of you walk in here and I'm talking about these but firsts and this has given you a language for something that's going on in you. Maybe you're like me and you've been seeing the verse pop up all over the place. <laughs> or maybe it's a thing that just keeps coming around. Maybe you've been praying and you've sensed that God is moving you towards something, but it feels really scary because it feels beyond you. And that is so normal. It's so normal. Maybe as you're processing all of this, it would be helpful to really think about and pray about that in a focused way. And if you're feeling like that, there is nothing magical about this space up here. However, however, it is a really good place to make a commitment. It's a really good place to just nail something down. I can look back in my life on places where I have um, prayed through something and I can still like see the carpet. You know what I'm saying? Like I could tell you the color of carpet on some things because <laughs> it just feels good sometimes to have a focused time to pray about a thing. So here's how we're going to do it. 
we're gonna we're gonna pray, and then Jody's gonna play a little of this song. And uh, if if this is just really stirring in you, and if it's not, it's okay. But if it is, let's deal with it. Let's pray about it. Let's meet God in the moment. Because the last thing that I want us to do is to talk about a first and then to miss the opportunity if he's speaking to you about that right now. So will you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful for your word and the stories in it because we find ourselves in them. And we, we read about this widow who feels like she doesn't have anything to give. And yet, she is able to meet the need of the prophet. And then you supernaturally meet her need. And Father, we realize that sometimes the but first that you call us to um, feel way beyond us. And we acknowledge that. We acknowledge that we sometimes feel fear about the things that you're putting in front of us because we just don't see how they'll work out logically. So Lord, we offer those questions to you today. We offer those places of uncertainty to you today. And we ask that you would help us to grow in our trust. That you would help us to, to know more of your presence and more of your peace in these places. In your name we pray these things. Amen. Now as we just maintain sort of an attitude of prayer, I just invite you, if this is something that's really working on you or you want to think or pray more about this and you want to come forward and do that, I would love to pray with you. Others would love to pray with you. Let's, let's open this as a time for that.